Welcome back, Fight Fans, to episode number 176 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Today we have a lot to discuss, including uh, Tyson Fury blitzkrieging Mr. Schwartz from Germany. And I want to talk about his lineage, because there's been a lot of talk about that. I want to give my opinions on it and... Do what Gail just said here in the chat. Hit that like button if you're watching right now. And for those of you listening to the audio podcast later on, whether it's on iTunes or anything else, uh, guys, make sure that you like us, follow us, leave some comments, all that good stuff. So TNC 176 for the week of uh, June 22nd. Quick reminder, get over to uh, Super. If you guys want to help out on Super Chat here on the YouTube, that's cool. If you want to help us over at Patreon, that is awesome. If you're interested in the MOB t-shirt, email me at MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. And last but not least, check us out on iHeartRadio. TNC is now up on iHeartRadio, and uh, we need to get the the ball rolling there on that platform because we just got over there, okay? Real quick news and notes. Um, Just a couple things. Some boxers behaving badly. Marcus Brown, the light heavyweight, I think he has an interim title right now, um, Light heavyweight contender, let's call him that. Top 10 light heavyweight. Arrested for not the second, not the third, but the fourth time in the last 18 months related to a domestic incident with the same woman. So whoever the hell he's dating is driving him crazy. And he probably should break up with her before it gets OJ-esque. Yeah, I had to bring OJ up because apparently he just got on Twitter. And Twitter is all about banning all sorts of people, bans all sorts of people, you know, but they allow OJ to be on there. And by the way, Bill Cosby, the greatest serial rapist of our time, has been on Twitter for years. And even though he's in jail right now for raping dozens of women over decades, oh yeah, and Hamed just brought up Triple G got suspended over some sort of privacy issue thing. But it's okay to have Bill Cosby on Twitter, and it's cool for OJ to post videos. Keep looking for the real killer, OJ. I know you're going to get him. All right, so anyway, (laughs) uh, okay, uh, WBC. So a lot of you guys saw this. The WBC says that they were going to withdraw their sanctioning of the Bredis-Govachki fight. Uh, I don't know if they did or not because I really don't give a shit. I believe they did. But remember, this is going to be technically a unification between the BC and the BO over in Riga, Latvia. We'll talk all about that fight and all the crazy fuckery that took place during that one in just a little bit. Man, we have some... It's going to be, it's going to be an edgy show, guys. Maybe it's because I'm an old, cranky man now. Gail says, yes, the WBC did withdraw its sanction. Yeah, I thought so. Thank you, Gail, for validating that. But uh, there's there's just a lot of shit I got to complain about and get off my chest today. We'll all do it together. But uh, damn, there was some craziness. Over in the UK, we had pretty much what looked like a robbery. And then over in Latvia, we just had just just a, a mess of events. A really bad look for the World Boxing Super Series. And you guys know I'm big on the WBSS. I really am. I love what they're doing. But this was a bad look. It's not all on them, but it's on them to a degree. Um... Okay, so WBC, WBO were supposed to sanction that fight between Bradis and Glowatsky. I continue to butcher the Polish names. I'm sorry, guys. Um, But four of the five ring officials were appointed by the WBO. Because remember, originally this was a WBO title fight. I think the WBC jumped in at the last second for a vacant title all these titles belong to Alexander Usyk, obviously. One by one, he's vacating them. But I think originally it was set up as a WBO fight. WBC gets involved at the last second, which they love to do. They love to butt in if they can. Glovachki. Okay, Skovskad corrected me. Glovachki. I can remember that, I think. We'll see. So uh, anyway, the BC says, look, the BC actually made all these tweets and posts and all the boxing sites carried it. With all this kind of vague talking, you know, like if our rules are being violated and they really put it on the WBSS, which their beef really wasn't with those guys in Sourland and all them. They were bitching about the WBO, 
But they didn't make it sound like that in this press release they put out. They made it sound like there's some kind of shady stuff going on by the promoters of the World Boxing Super Series. Later on, we find out it's because the WBO appointed four of the five officials. The WBC only had one official appointed. They wanted more officials appointed. It was an ego thing. Literally an ego thing. That's what it came down to. Mauricio Suleiman wanted as much or more ring officials appointed by the WBC versus the WBO. That's what that whole mess was about. Now, as it turns out, the officials that the WBO appointed for that fight were shit because the referee of that fight between Bradis and Glovachki was Robert Byrd, one of the shittiest refs currently in boxing. I'm going to say one of the shittiest big assignment refs in all of boxing because clearly there are shittier club level refs out there. But then who was one of the judges? None, none other than his wife, Adelaide Bird, the worst judge, big fight judge in all of boxing right now. And you guys know my opinion on both Robert Bird and Adelaide Bird because I've made it very, very public. To my detriment, I, I might add, it's, it's cost me money. It's hit my bank account. Speaking about these people truthfully in the way many folks in the media will not, at least not when the cameras and lights are on. So I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back for that. But anyway, anyway, don't want to digress too much. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the WBO appointed the birds. And as it turns out, we had one of the worst performances by a ref that we've seen in years that led to an atrocious outcome that left fans outraged. And Glavatsky and his people ended up, well, if they haven't yet, they're supposed to uh, earlier this week. I don't know if it's happened yet today or maybe it's tomorrow. They will file an official uh, protest with the WBO because they were the lead sanctioning organization uh, in, for this fight. So the bradis Golvachki fight handled by the WBO and, of course, the Latvian Commission. I, don't, I can't remember their technical name. So Golvachki's people are, will file a protest with them. So we'll, let's just go ahead and get right into that. Let's get into the fight review Saturday, June 15th at Arena Riga in Riga, Latvia, World Boxing Super Series Season 2 on the zone, Cruiserweight Semifinals. The first Cruiserweight Semifinal bout, not necessarily the greatest fight ever to watch, but boy, did it end with fireworks. Uniel Dortico scores a KO 10 win over Andrew Tabidi. Man, you know, I, I get the Spanish names. I guess it's, you know, I'm, I'm Latin. Italian is Latin, and I can just pronounce those names easier. I butcher the Eastern European names, well, at least the Polish ones, and I'm part Eastern European. I told you guys, I took the 23andMe test, and I found out that I'm a lot Eastern European, which explains my height and everything else, but I cannot pronounce these Polish names. Anyway, all right, I'm all over the place today. I'm an old man, forgive me. Anyway, Dortikos, KO10 win over Andrew Tabidi, beautiful straight right hand, and when I say straight, he shot it straight from the shoulder, boom, straight down, at Tabidi. If you look at the replay of the knockout, Tabidi's left hand was down basically by his nuts. I mean, he his left hand was so low. You don't do that standing in range while dipping slightly to your right. You are just giving dude your chin for a straight right hand. Cian asked if it's the KO of the year. In terms of quality of opponent or um, importance of the fight or anything like that, it being late in the fight, you can make an argument that it was a, a more impressive knockout than Wilder's knockout of Brazil. But Wilder's knockout of Brazil was so uh, textbook. It was straight out of a Hollywood movie script, right? That I think Wilder Brazil is still going to be the KO of the year. And the fact that it was in the first round and they had all this bad blood and it was in America and the... American you know, Boxing Writers Association of America is biased and prejudiced, and they do vote for American fighters or fights that happen in America versus fights that happen on foreign soil. Heavyweight versus cruiserweight, yeah. So um, Jack Alter says Triple G versus Rolls, he feels is the KO of the year. It's in the top 10. But I think that Wilder Brazil, uh, that, that type of just concussive, uh, again, that was straight out of a Hollywood movie, that sort of knockout. And then on top of everything else I said, that's still the KO of the year. But Dortikos Tabidi in the discussion. Absolutely in the discussion. And I, I loved, to me, his right hand 
because he was doing it in range. He wasn't way outside. He wasn't storming in. He was in range, and they weren't throwing, I think, uh, there wasn't an exchange there, but they were fainting and moving. I think Tabidi had, had made an athletic movement where his, if I remember correct, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but his right shoulder was forward, and then he shifted, moved his head. Dortico saw that, and immediately, just, just from his shoulder, just boom, just shot a straight right hand. He didn't wind up on it, didn't even need to crank it. He threw it so textbook perfect and landed it with such accuracy and turned over on it beautifully his hand turned over at the end it was just gorgeous just gorgeous beautiful knockout by Dorticos who I'm a big fan of I thought Tabidi had moments in this fight he had the faster hands he does know how to box he is skilled but he did not throw enough he was holding way too much you guys saw the clash of heads I think it was in the sixth round and per the idiotic rules over there it, a point was deducted from Tabidi, which I thought was stupid. I, I, it's an accidental clash of heads. He didn't mean it. It shouldn't have cost him a point. But it opened up a big cut on Dortico's, I think, his right eyelid. And that was a problem for him. But the veteran, everything that he learned in that grueling fight with Murat Gassiev in season one of the World Boxing Super Series, semifinals, literally the same stage of the first tournament, he was in that same stage here in the second one. He took those lessons and he applied them to Tabidi. The difference between Gassiev and Tabidi, which let's be honest, they had about the same level of experience. Gassiev had, in terms of number of fights and everything like that, Gassiev had faced better fighters, a little more battle-tested, and he could catch. Not only could he pitch, he can catch. Tabidi didn't throw enough, didn't step into his punches and land with authority, had some pretty shots that landed here and there, but too few and far in between. Dortigos gets the win, and now he is in the finale. And I'm sorry, he's the favorite to win this thing. Uniel Dortigos is absolutely the favorite to win this thing. But, uh, okay, main event. Marius Bradis, former titleist. Christoph Glavachki, former titleist. Both only have one loss coming into this fight. Those losses were to Oleksandr Usyk. No shame in that. Alexander Usyk is going to the Hall of Fame someday. So these two guys are clearly top five cruiserweights. And I think cruiserweight is a very underrated division. I really, really feel that way. And these guys are battle-tested, proven. They've been there, right? I was really looking forward to this fight. I know you guys were too. But again, you had Adelaide Bird judging it. So if this thing went the distance, you were going to get a terrible scorecard from her probably. And then you had Robert Bird refing it, which meant that the second this thing got dirty, if he didn't immediately get control of that, it was going to blow up. And that's exactly what happened. So after a touch and go first round, not a whole lot going on there. In the uh, second round, you guys saw what happened. Uh, Glavachki, in an exchange, you know, they got fighters got tangled up. He threw what looked to me to be very, very on purpose, a right hand I believe it was a right hand, to the back of Bradis' head. Bradis immediately responded by purposely, very purpose, much more on purpose than what Glavatsky did. Uh, I think it was his left hand, elbow to the face. And clearly it was not a love tap. He nailed him hard with an elbow. I mean, it was a hard shot close up that uh, the pole had no way to defend against. So Robert Byrd takes a point. Number one, it should have been a two-point deduction. When you see a foul that egregious, it is an immediate two-point deduction and a stern warning of, hey, man, you pull some shit like this again, fight's over, DQ. If you guys want to see an example of that kind of thing, uh, look at like when Andrew Galata fought Riddick Bowe, that sort of thing, to where it's like you, you need to... If you're the ref, okay, you're going from zero to 60 miles per hour in that car instantly on a move like that, and you need to get control of that fight. And I just think a younger, more alert ref would have done that. Somebody like Harvey Dock would have, Jack Reese, would have immediately gotten his ass, pulled him aside. First of all, he would have given Glavatsky time to recover. Like, hey, man, that was a foul. Take time, recover. But with Bradis, get his attention, get his corner's attention, Two points, let everybody know, all four sides of the ring, two points, 
you know, uh, uh, on purpose elbow, right? Make sure you say that four times clearly. And then let Brady just know, hey, man, one more of these, you're gone. If I see a headbutt, if I see anything like that, you're gone. And Gail brings up a good point here. Brady has freely admitted, admitted in the post-fight interview that the elbow was dirty. He admitted it. And I think he admitted that he heard the bell ring at the uh, third round, which th- that was what happened next. So, okay, third round, um, Glavatsky gets dropped. I believe it was a right hand. It was a counter right hand from Bradius, which was pretty stuff. Good, solid counter shot. We can't know for sure if that elbow that Glavatsky took in a second had him still messed up and if that led to him being dropped. From what I saw, Bradys landed a good shot and it looked like a legitimate punch. It wasn't like a grazing punch off the side of the head or something. It was a legit hard shot to the chin. Looked like a legit knockout or knockdown to me at first. But we'll never know for sure because, uh, okay, elbow, Hamed said the elbow was the same round. Okay, it was the second round, not the third. Thanks, guys, for correcting me. Um, but so same round. So then it's pretty believable that the, the elbow had to have some effect, Right. But we don't know for sure. We can't be inside of Glavatsky's body and know for sure. But again, had Robert Byrd immediately taken control and given him a few minutes to recover, maybe the knockdown never happens. Maybe it still happens. We can't know for sure. Now we're speculating. But what we do know for sure is that Glavatsky gets up after the knockdown, uh, fights back, bell uh, rings for the end of the second round. Both guys continue throwing. Here's the difference. Glavatsky was buzzed and trying to defend himself. Brady's was just being a bully because he was pissed off at what happened earlier in the round. He was still mad about that punch to the back of the head. While I can understand his feelings, he had gotten it back with the damn elbow. Now, again, we don't know what's in their head. I'm speculating. We're all speculating, right? We don't know what either guy's thinking, but... We can see clearly from watching the footage, both guys punched after the sound of the bell for what seemed like 10, 15 seconds. Once again, Glavatsky's hurt. Then he comes out in the third round and eventually uh, he's out of there, right? Robert Byrd did not hear the bell. He didn't hear the sticks. You know, before the 10 seconds, you hear sticks. In some commissions, it's like like a little beep. 10 seconds before the the bell sounds. But man, the bell was pretty damn clear. And the guys calling the fight who are ringside, the announcers, I can't think of their names right now, but the dudes calling the fight for the zone, they're right there by the ring. They heard it. Brady's admitted he heard it. I don't know if you guys have seen any interviews with Kovachki if he admitted that he heard it, but pretty much everyone in that arena, thousands of people heard it. And Bird didn't. So as a result of Bird's complete incompetence in that second round, we had this really shitty result for a fight that really just, if you look at these two guys' styles and the way things were going to build up, this was going to be a damn good fight. And now we have a situation where the World Boxing Super Series is really in a tough spot because I think this will be changed to a no contest. I don't see how it can't be. I mean, Glavatsky's, like I mentioned, his people are going to put in a protest and I think that it's a legitimate case for a no contest. How can you look at that second round and say, oh, yeah, that was a fair sporting contest? Yeah. This is, guys, this isn't basketball. This isn't baseball. This is boxing. This is combat. Like getting elbowed in the face, that does affect things. And then in the same round, you're getting knocked down. And then you're, hitting, you're being hit with hard punches while buzzed after the bell. That matters, right? So, so I think this is going to be a no contest, and that delays the World Boxing Super Series cruiserweight finale, which sucks for them. This tournament has had issues in the second season. These are some of the things that can happen in boxing that can affect a tournament. It's so much easier to do a tournament in team sports because if there are injuries, someone can, get, can step in and replace a fighter. But nobody would look at this and say, yeah, Bradis deserves to fight in the semifinal. But nobody at the same time can look at this and say, yeah, Glavatsky deserves to be in the final. I'm sorry, the finale. Neither guy deserves to be in the finale right now, in my opinion. And if 
Maybe I'll do a poll on Twitter to ask you guys. Do either of them deserve to be in a finale against Dortikos? I, I don't think Lovachki did enough to earn it, and I think that Brady's fought too dirty to earn it. So uh, Hamed makes the argument that um, Brady should have been disqualified. Hamed, here's where I will agree with you and disagree with you at the same time. Had Robert Byrd, I agree with you in principle, but had Robert Byrd given that two-point deduction and that final warning, look, dude, you foul one more time, you're disqualified. Had he made that clear to Bradis, which he did not, and I've watched the replay several times, he did not do it. If he had made that clear, and then Brady's punched after the bell, boom, immediate disqualification, and Bird would have had justification to do it. Again, look back to Golada's fight with Bo as an example of that. That's a ref handling that situation properly. This was mishandled by Bird. In the end, guys, this is fighters being fighters. This is a fight. I get it that it's a sport, but it's also a fight. It is up to the ring officials, the judges, the ref, the ring doctor, whoever it is, to properly handle cases like this where things get out of hand. It's going to happen with two trained killers who are in there literally trying to kill each other. It's go- things like this can happen. Robert Bird lost control of this fight. And even though I think Brady's is dirty as hell, and you guys saw me tweet about this, I put the lion's share of the blame on Robert Bird. And it's time for him to go. He holds a high position at the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So does his wife, Adelaide Bird. They're deeply entrenched in that commission. It's the most powerful commission in the world. And they, they're just very insular and almost delusional. They don't give a shit what guys like me have to say sometimes, what you guys, the fans, have to say. They're just going to keep these guys going. Robert Bird will be refing a big major fight in America within the next few months. Watch. It's, it's really messed up, but that's what's going to happen. Uh, also, Saturday, June 15th, at the First Direct Arena in Leeds, Yorkshire, UK. Queensberry card on ESPN Plus here in the States. Josh Warrington barely scraped by Kid Galahad. The third defense of his IBF featherweight title. A lot of people had Galahad winning. He did a lot of holding. It wasn't a very pretty fight to watch. Kind of ugly. Scores were 116-112, and I think 116-113. Two judges had it for Warrington. One judge had a 115-113 for Galahad. Look, am I going to call this the robbery of the year? No. Am I going to call this a flat-out robbery where one guy won 9, 10 rounds and lost? No. There were swing rounds in this fight. It was ugly as hell. One guy was trying to do a little more punching. The other guy was doing a little more holding. So it does come down to what you prefer. But a lot of people feel, a lot of people that I trust, feel that Galahad won this fight. I know Warrington wants to go after some of the other top guys at 26. Like they, I think they talked about Leo Santa Cruz, something like that. Um, if their goal is to get a money fight, to get a big money fight next, unified titles, sure, go that direction. But if your goal is to clean up any questions, I would immediately go into the, the, the rematch with Galahad and, and just put doubts to bed. This fight was too damn close, man. However you scored it, too damn close. And uh, it's the same thing with Katie Taylor and Delphine Pearson. Uh, that, that fight was too close. There's too many doubts. If Katie Taylor really wants to prove she's the best female fighter in the, in the world, go right into a rematch. I've said the same thing, Anthony Joshua losing to Andy Ruiz. Don't screw around. Don't screw around for two years and fight a bunch of tune-ups. Go right into the damn rematch with Andy Ruiz and clean up that mess. That's the best thing young fighters can do. So a lot of you guys on here I, I see in the chat are saying that you feel Warrington won. And you know what? I hear you. Um, Again, robbery is probably the wrong word. And I said the word robbery up front at the beginning of this uh, episode. And maybe that's the wrong word. A lot of people do honestly feel, though, guys, that a draw could have been good. Azier, I just see where he says a draw would have been fair. And a lot of people at Galahad winning. And I'm not talking about crazy, wacko YouTube fan channels with an agenda. I'm talking actual credible media people feel that Galahad won. It does come down to styles and what you prefer. I thought it was a shit ugly fight. However, I think that uh, I think they need to do it again. And it, it just matters what Warrington wants to do. 
Now, Warrington is fighting in Leeds. He's from Leeds. He is the champion, right? So that's why on the surface, in a close fight, there are going to be people out there that say, ah, this was, uh, this was a robbery. It didn't look good, right? So, yeah, a few of you guys are saying no one wants to see this fight again. I hear you. We probably won't. It was a mandatory. So I hear what you're saying. And again, I put it on Warrington and his team. Do they want to go to bigger and better things and get money and go after another title? If so, go after Leo Santa Cruz. Go for that big fight. Do you want to improve and leave no doubt? Do a rematch. Which one will we see? We're probably going to get the unification fight. And let's be honest. We'd probably rather see Warrington fight Leo Santa Cruz or somebody like that before we see him fight Galahad again. For Galahad, there was a little bit of Andrew Tabidi there. Too much holding, too much waiting, not enough punches and bunches. And you can make the argument that he kept it close, but he gave the fight away in those swing rounds when you're fighting a champion in his hometown. All right, yeah, Warrington, Oscar Valdez would be awesome. Warrington against Santa Cruz would be awesome. Of course, we'd rather see those fights. If they go into one of those fights next and he, and he performs well, win, lose, or draw, everyone's going to forget about this fight, guys. People have short memories. Okay, let's go to Las Vegas at the MGM Grand where Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, made his debut on ESPN+. And in the main event, scores a TKO2 win over Tom Schwartz, uh, who came in 24-0 but had fought absolutely nobody and was dropped in the second round and stopped in the second round. His nose was bloodied up. Tyson Fury showed all kinds of great head movement and not just head upper body movement fluidity with his punches uh, uses his length very very well uh, doesn't wear himself out in in for a guy who faints a lot and moves a lot in the ring he he doesn't waste a lot of energy which which is rare guys that usually move a lot in the ring and use movement they do it with their feet most of the time and therefore they uh use a lot of energy fury doesn't waste any mental, emotional energy. He seems right there. He seems comfortable in the ring like he's a natural-born fighter. And a lot of his movement is at the waist and the shoulders and up top with his head, right? So you get the feeling that he could do that for 20 rounds. He does not expend a lot of energy with all that movement for such a big man. It is impressive. However, guys, I gave Deontay Wilder, not, not, not him but his fans, uh, some shit for just salivating over Deontay when he knocked out Dominic Brazil. I got to give some of you guys out there some shit for going crazy over Tyson Fury looking like Pernell Whitaker against Tom Schwartz. It was Tom freaking Schwartz. And by the way, I immediately tweeted, yeah, Tyson Fury just beat a German Dominic Brazil, something to that effect. And I saw that my colleague, Steve Kim, um, tweeted something similar to that. And a few other folks in the media did. And I was surprised to wake up the next morning and just see a bunch of tweets from people bashing that and saying, Dominic Brazil is light years better than Tom Schwartz. And how could you make that comparison? Blah, blah, blah. And now suddenly Dominic Brazil is an all-time great contender or something. Look, guys. If they fought head-to-head, I would pick Dominic Brazil to beat Schwartz, probably by decision, in a god-awful sloppy fight. It'd be fun, but it looked like two drunk guys at a bar slapping the shit out of each other. However, Brazil was, I understand he was a mandatory, but you guys know the way the WBC works. The real mandatory should have been Dillian White, but the WBC is in bed with Uncle Al. They do favors. They love Deontay Wilder. And they got things set up to where he would fight Dominic Brazil because that's the fight Uncle Al's wanted for a year or so now. Those of you who have followed me for a while, you've heard me say this. I predicted that fight would happen, what, two years ago? I've been telling you it's coming, right? So, yeah, I get Brazil was a mandatory, kind of. He was kind of a hand-picked mandatory with the little ducats being slipped under the table between Uncle Al and the WBC because that's how Mauricio and Al do business. They're not the only ones, but that's how they do business. Anyway, Brazil was brought in to look good against for Wilder. He didn't go to the zone, stayed with Showtime, and they got to build things up before they do the rematch with Fury. 
So that's why he was fighting Brazil. The same exact thing is happening over with Grandpa Bob, Top Rank, and Tyson Fury. With their debut on ESPN with that big contract, they just signed with Fury. They're not going right into the damn rematch with Wilder. It ain't happening. That ain't the way the boxing business works. So they need the guy to look good against. And suddenly Tyson Fury looks like he could punch like Vladimir Klitschko and Lennox Lewis all in the same night. Tom freaking Schwartz. All right, Hawk1717 says, let's get to the lineal talk. Okay, all right, let's get to that lineal talk. Well, real quick, real quick, I should mention on the undercard, Michaela Mayer, female lightweight, improved to 11-0. Look, she's cute, good personality, very marketable, and top rank and ESPN will do good things with her. But the second she gets in there with Katie Taylor or Delphine Pearson, she's going to get her ass beat. That's just the truth about Michaela Mayer. Also on the undercard, Albert Bell out of Toledo upsets Andy Vincent, who uh, had a draw with Eric DeLeon a year or so ago, I believe at the StubHub Center in LA. I was ringside for that one. DeLeon's from Detroit, so I was really excited to see that one. I wasn't impressed by either guy. A lot of people were super high on Andy Vincent. I, I really don't know why. Albert Bell goes in there and upsets him. 97-93, three times were the scores in that fight. It was a 10-rounder. And then Jesse Hart uh, beats Sullivan Barrera, dropped him. I was really excited for that fight, but that fight underperformed to me. Sullivan Barrera got old overnight. He just seemed to kind of get old overnight, and it sucks because I was a fan of Sullivan Barrera, his willingness to fight anybody, but he did not look that good against Jesse Hart. But... Jesse Hart now, his only losses are to, to Gilberto Ramirez. So I still think he's one of the top super middleweights out there. Okay, um, lineal, 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 blah, 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 all, this, all this crap about lineal. ESPN must have said the word lineal 500,000 times during the goddamn broadcast. I, I, I was sick of it. I was trolling and tweeting with you guys uh, just during the entire broadcast and afterward, I changed my Twitter name to Michael Lineal Montero for the weekend. So, uh, okay. Tyson Fury. I understand why a lot of you out there... Let, let me first explain what lineal means. Basically, it means man who beat the man, right? And for whatever reason, with the heavyweight championship, this is a big, big deal for people, particularly the old timers in the media that talk about the good old days, right? You had one champion, and you go back to the man who beat the man who beat the man. But for decades now, we've had multiple sanctioning organizations. Okay. Several times throughout, and we're going to stick with the heavyweight division here, throughout heavyweight boxing history, the lineage that ties champion to champion to champion going all the way back to the late 1800s has been broken. A fighter either retires, uh, a fighter... Um, uh, retires it, well of course if he gets beat it goes away there are certain circumstances I, I didn't want to get too complicated with this but Muhammad Ali of course right uh, didn't want to enter the draft he went to jail there was issues there okay we've seen lineages broken before with different things happening okay but the last clear quote-unquote, the man who owned the heavyweight division was Vladimir Klitschko. And I know a lot of you guys hate Vladimir Klitschko. He gets a lot of the same criticism Lennox Lewis used to get when he was fighting. Now Lennox Lewis is seen as a top five all-time great heavyweight. I think that Vladimir Klitschko's accomplishments will age well. And 10, 20 years from now, he'll be seen in a different light. I believe he's a top 10 all-time great heavyweight. But he never got the WBC title. And for some people out there, they feel, well, he wasn't undisputed. Really? Really, numb nuts. The WBC titleist was Vitaly Klitschko for, what, four years? And the two brothers were never going to fight each other. After Vitaly was gone, the title, because of the politics, again, WBC, Don King, Uncle Al. Uncle Al is just the new Don King when it comes to the WBC and their favoritism. They lined it up to where Vladimir Klitschko, clearly the best heavyweight at the time, had no chance to fight for that title. We saw Chris Ariola and Berman Stavern, two fringe contender level fighters, fight for that title, right? So Berman Stavern wins it, doesn't even get a damn title defense. 
And Uncle, or I'm sorry, Don King sells that title to Uncle Al. Deontay Wilder gets it. They do a gentleman's agreement. They line it up. You see Wilder Stavern. He wins that title. Deontay Wilder has held the BC title for however many years. Perfect opportunity to see Wilder fight Vladimir Klitschko. Do you guys, you look back, did you notice that there was never any push? Never any push from a lot of the same media, quote unquote, guys now calling for certain fights, saying Gennady has to fight this guy. AJ has to fight that guy. Those same dudes weren't saying Deontay Wilder with this WBC title needs to fight the lineal unified champion Vladimir Klitschko. They weren't saying that. Neither were Deontay's people. Vladimir and Deontay did some sparring and Klitschko worked him. Just absolutely dominated him. Now, for, for what it's worth, okay, Deontay wasn't ready. He knew that. And him and his team took their time. They were never going to fight Vladimir Klitschko. So I'm giving you all this background because basically Vladimir owned the division. He was the top guy in the division, regardless if he had all four titles, three titles, whatever it was, he became the lineal champion when he was the top guy and he fought the guy seen as the highest available contender, Ruslan Shigayev. Some people rated him number two at the time. Some people rated him number three. I believe the guy rated number two at the time, I can't remember who it was, was ducking Vladimir. Vladimir fights Ruslan Shigayev. Boom, he's the lineal champion. He establishes a new lineage with that win and goes on to continue fighting other number two guys. When he fought David Hay. Many people looked at that as a number one versus number two type of matchup. We saw several matchups like that during Vladimir Klitschko's reign, where he was seen as the top guy, and he fought either the number two or number three guy and dominated them. We saw it several times over a 10-year reign, okay? I think it was Valuev that ducked him. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right there, Hamed. That it was Nikolai Valuev, I believe, that ducked. Vladimir, I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, and by rights, that should have been Evander Holyfield with that title because he beat Valuev and got robbed. But anyway, Vladimir was the guy. He was the lineal champion. After Lennox Lewis retired, there was a broken lineage. Vitaly Klitschko briefly held the Ring Magazine title, but I didn't necessarily agree with that title because he beat Corey Sanders to win it. I don't know if that was a number one versus number two. I didn't see that as a lineal championship. Vitaly was the top guy for a while. But after he retired for a while due to injury, Vladimir owned the division. He was the guy. Tyson Fury beats him. Okay. At that point, Tyson Fury is the lineal champion. Forget the damn belts. He beat the man who was the man at that time. Regardless of how you feel about the damn fight and everything else, okay, Tyson Fury became the lineal champion at that point. But guys, what did he do? He didn't fight for, what, two plus, I think, almost three years? He didn't fight a ranked heavyweight for, I believe, at least three years after that. He was busted for drugs. He was suspended, lost his boxing license. Imagine if you're a doctor and you lose your, 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 your license to practice medicine. Imagine you're a lawyer and you lose your license to practice law. That is essentially what happened to Tyson Fury. Gets suspended, loses his boxing license. Lineage is gone. I'm sorry. He's no longer the lineal champion. At Ring Magazine, you guys know I sit on the Ring Ratings Committee. I was one of the guys banging the drums to because he became the Ring Champion when he beat Vladimir that we need to strip Tyson Fury. And I argued that we had stripped other fighters like Andre Ward, somebody I was highly critical of for years, but we had stripped Andre Ward for less than what Tyson Fury did. And that was unfair to Andre Ward. Imagine that, me sticking up for Andre Ward to argue that we should strip Tyson Fury. Some of these other YouTube channels probably are unaware of that. But um, these guys who hate me. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. We did strip him. Now, the ring title isn't necessarily the lineal title. This is where you get into this debate and you could get way in the weeds with this shit. I'm probably boring a bunch of you talking about it. But in any other profession, in any other job in the world, 
If you don't defend your damn title or work for years because you were suspended and lost your license, you lost your right to do what you do for a living because you screwed up so bad, yeah, you're probably not going to keep the same position. I say all that and I follow up with this. I think Tyson Fury is the number one rated heavyweight right now. We argued about this at, at the ring ratings panel. Who's the number one guy? And we came out after Andy Ruiz beat AJ. A lot of people wanted him to be the number one guy. But we talked about resumes and, and everything. And we felt that given what Tyson Fury did against Vlad and given that he pretty much outboxed Wilder, uh, he deserves to be number one. But it's kind of like 1A and 1B between him and Wilder and then Ruiz and AJ and then everybody else. But he is not, in my opinion, the lineal champion of the world because I look at the lineal champion as the guy in the division. He's not. There is no clear top dog at heavyweight right now. We just don't know. These guys have to fight each other. We need to see a rematch between Wilder and Fury. We need to see a rematch between Ruiz and Joshua. And then we need to see the winners of those two fights fight each other before we find out who the guy is at heavyweight. Top guy right now is probably Fury, but it's not him and then everybody else. He's in the mix with a few other guys. It's not like what we saw with Vladimir Klitschko when he was clearly the top guy and then it was everyone else. Or like we saw with Lennox Lewis, he was clearly the top guy and then it was everyone else. So that is my opinion on all that shit. Um, I don't know. If you guys agree or disagree, I'm sure some of you probably disagree, and I respect that. But hopefully I've given you my reasoning enough to where you don't think I'm coming from a place of bias. I'm trying to come from a place of fairness and objectivity. I think it's unfair to other guys in the division who have done just as much, if not, I'm not going to say more, but just as much as Tyson Fury has done in the last year or so that, you know, you just call him the man. And that's the way ESPN's marketing him. I think it's bullshit and it confuses casual fans. We already have four damn sanctioning bodies. And now you're calling this guy who doesn't have one of these titles, the guy in the division. It's just confusing, man. Let's be consistent. Let's be fair. That's my opinion. Okay. All right, guys, let's see some questions here. I'm checking you guys out on the chat. There's a lot of chat going back and forth between all of you. And I am not going to be able to catch up to all of that. So let's see. Do you guys have anything else right now? Uh, Ozier says Tyson Fury was banned for steroids and he lost his belt. So let me, let me briefly explain, very, very briefly, the, the drug situation with Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury failed a drug test. He tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug before he even fought Vladimir Klitschko. This goes back a, a while, several years, busted by UCAD. UCAD didn't tell anybody. They certainly didn't tell Vladimir Klitschko. He was completely unaware of it going into his fight with Fury that Fury had tested positive for a banned substance before, which he blamed on eating wild boar, which I believe that excuse about as much as I believe Canelo Alvarez's excuse about eating tainted beef. In fact, Canelo's excuse is more, more legitimate than Tyson Fury's excuse. Vladimir Klitschko is so irate over this that he immediately demanded a rematch with Tyson Fury. And the, the stipulation was that they were going to do full VADA testing, full VADA testing for that fight. Tyson Fury knew this. He knew he was going to be tested with VADA. He signed the paperwork. He did the tests. He knowingly did a bunch of coke so that he, this is my personal psychological, me playing psychologist opinion here, that he personally self-sabotaged the fight so that it wouldn't happen because he felt he didn't feel confident against Klitschko in the rematch because Vladimir was coming in, taking him seriously, and he was coming in, Fury was, coming in clean and drug-free this time. So he tested positive for a steroid before Klitschko. He tested positive for uh, cocaine after Klitschko. And then he lost his titles, and then he lost his boxing license and was suspended briefly. And we at The Ring Magazine stripped him. I want to say thank you to the Captain Hook Chronicles for the Super Chat Pledge, brother. Thank you very, very much. 
Uh, but, so that clears up the drug situation with Fury, okay? And by the way, I don't believe he's doing any VADA testing right now. And for the record, neither is Wilder. I'd like to see, at least if they do that rematch, they should do full VADA testing. We should see what Jarrett Hurd and Julian J. Rock Williams did in their title fight earlier this year. Full VADA testing. That's what we should see for that fight, all right? Just like we saw with Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, all right? We need to see VADA testing, guys. Let's see. Um, Prime TV asks, bro, so a guy that looks like Fury is on roids, but Klitschko isn't. Look, man, I got to call you out on that. That's an ignorant statement. James Tony was a fat ass at heavyweight and popped several times for banned substances. Body types are different. And let's not forget, Tyson Fury weighed over 300 pounds. He basically lost 100 pounds uh, in his comeback. I'm not accusing Tyson Fury of doping right now. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he did dope before. And he used, uh, look, cocaine, a lot of fighters have done it. Some say it's performance enhancing. Some say it's not. But it's certainly banned. And when you know you're getting VADA testing for the first and only time in your career and you knowingly do a bunch of blow, that looks to me like you're looking for a way out of a fight. So all I'm saying, guys, I'm not trying to beat up on Tyson Fury. I, I, hopefully you guys heard the other part where I said he's probably the best heavyweight in the world right now. Hopefully you heard the other stuff I said about his movement being impressive for such a big man and his skills, okay? I'm just trying to be fair across the board. I get shit for speaking about Deontay Wilder in an honest way. And I get shit for talking about Tyson Fury in an honest way. I think if we all talked about every fighter in an open and honest way, things would be better in this sport. All right? So there are asterisks next to Tyson Fury's accomplishments. There was a cloud of drugs surrounding him him around the Klitschko fight. And there was two knockdowns that cost him the the Deontay Wilder fight. In between that, he's fought a bunch of guys who aren't very good. His comeback has consisted of the Wilder fight and three journeymen. And I'm being generous by saying journeymen. One of the guys he fought looked like a light heavyweight. I think he was a raked cruiserweight, maybe. But he looked like a midget standing next to Fury. Okay, so there's still questions there. There are still questions around Wilder. There's massive holes in his terribly weak resume we could say the same damn, same damn thing about Fury. The difference with Fury is he does have that win against Klitschko, and he did look good for a lot of that fight against Wilder. So the two times he has stepped up, he has performed well. That is what separates him from some of these other heavyweights. That's why I agree with us at ring rating him number one. So that that's how I feel about this situation, guys. All right, um... Tim Nick says Fury is a top boxer, but he has to prove that he is a real champ by fighting the best. That's all I'm saying, dude. That's all I'm saying. You guys keep asking Tiffany Lamb to say hi, please. I'm logged in as Tiffany. I just said hi. <laughs> I got, I, I'm using her laptop right now here in the chat, guys. So that was, that was just me trolling you saying hi. That was me doing a catfish. All right. Preview time. We got a lot of fights. Prime TV says, put some respect on Safari name. <laughs> yeah, Safari, Shafir Safari, I think, right? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have called him a midget. I know, it's little people. Now I have to say little people, right? Screw that, he's a midget. And, oh, by the way, quick tangent, quick tangent. When we were in Detroit, Tiffany and I saw a midget driving a minivan. Now, if you're a midget, <laughs> you can't write this shit, right? Driving a van. If you're a midget, would you not drive one of those little smart cars or something? Why would you drive a van? That must, like, and then, and then I asked Tiffany, and she, like, laughed because I'm like, if a midget drives a van, is that like when I drive a bus? I don't know. Midget dwarf, I can't tell the difference. I just, it was, I can't help but chuckle when I see their chubby little digits trying to grip the steering wheel. It's just hilarious. All right, I apologize for any of you who are little people watching this. But come on, have some fun and laugh a little. Okay, uh, guys, we have a lot of fights this week. None of them are huge fights, but 
Don Flamenco says, well, it was a minivan. There you go. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> it was a minivan. Uh, okay. Jeez. Uh, okay. A lot of fights. Loaded schedule. Nothing really, really uh, big, but fun. So Wednesday, June 19th, a card from uh, Chiba, Japan on UFC Fight Pass with a couple of title bouts at 108, 115 pounds. Don Flamingo is accusing me of midget shaming. I get called or I get accused of shaming all sorts of people. So I might as well shame the midgets. Hopefully uh, now I'm going to have some midget brigade on Twitter trying to get me banned. Uh, Like uh, some guys were trying to get me banned for criticizing that reporter who was messing around with Kubrat Pulev a few weeks back. That was fun. That was a fun weekend. Anyway, Thursday, June 20th, a card from Atlantic City on Facebook Watch. So you guys are getting all sorts of stuff here on all these different platforms. Friday is the busiest day. Uh, We have a card from Belfast, Northern Ireland on ESPN+. Gail's asking, am I talking about the sushi slut? Oh, Gail, you can say that. I can't. So guys, don't quote me saying sushi slut. I was reading Gail who said sushi slut. I merely just read the words sushi slut out loud. You see the difference there? But watch, some asshole is going to take this and edit it and use it out of context. They've done it with other videos of mine. Some asshole on Twitter took an episode of TNC from like two years ago with me and my brother when we were uh, quoting a character from a movie, maybe an hour into the show, made a 10-second snippet of it and tweeted it out trying to make it look like something it wasn't. And I'm like, dude, how bored are you to go to that length to smear me? I'm not even a B-lister, dude. I'm a C-lister. You need to get a life. You need to get laid. Okay, back to Friday, June 21st. So I told you about the Northern Ireland card on ESPN+. Plus. There was a card also from London on the zone here in the States and Sky over there in the UK featuring the return of Ted Cheeseman. Big Cheese making his uh, comeback from his first loss to uh, Sergio Garcia in February who fights, coincidentally, this Sunday in Spain. So perhaps if they both win, we see a rematch. That's what I'm smelling here. Also, a card from Sloan, Iowa on Showbox with several prospects putting their O's on the line. So Friday is crazy booked. We also have a card on the zone from Indio, California, Golden Boy Promotions. This is the best fight of the weekend, guys. Andrew Cancio making his rematch against Alberto Machado. These guys fought back in February. Cancio scored the upset of the year before we saw Ruiz and AJ and and knocked him out, knocked Machado out in the fourth round. Machado had trouble making weight. That was a defense of his 130-pound title that Cancio took from him. Maybe he makes weight better this time around and looks better. We shall see. But that was a great story, a great feel-good story back in February. It was the upset of the year until just a few weeks ago. So I can't wait to see that rematch. Also on that card, Angel Acosta out of Puerto Rico going up against Mexican Elwin Soto for the WBO Junior Flyweight title. On Saturday, June 22nd, there's a card out of Cleveland, Ohio on CBS Sports Net. That's kind of coming out of nowhere. And uh, Sunday, June 23rd from Las Vegas, PBC on Fox, Jermel Charlo, a bit of a buzzkill, going up against Jorge Cota. Not his fault. He was due to rematch Tony Harrison, who gave him his first loss back in April. I'm sorry, last December. But uh, Harrison was injured, claims an injury. And by the way, guys, I was just in Detroit. I was just at the gym working out with some guys who know Tony. I asked them straight up, is this injury with Tony Harrison legit? Or is he trying to like pull some shit to try to get the rematch back in Detroit? And they said, no, he, he legitimately is hurt. And he's really, really bummed out about it because he wanted the rematch bad to prove that the first fight wasn't a fluke. So the Tony Harrison injury is legit. Again, I asked several guys who work out with him because I was there at the gym with them one day. So uh, yeah, he is definitely hurt. Anyway, we're going to get Charlo versus Jorge Cota, Mexican, who's coming off a loss. His last fight was in April. It was a loss. So Charlo's going to look real good here and get a W. And I guess later this year, We'll get the Harrison Charlo rematch. Also on this card, Guillermo Rigondeaux. 
All right, Regan Diaw is back, going up against Julio Ceja, who has lost two of his last four. Somehow, some way, somehow, some way, Guillermo Regan Diaw, right? Who his cult-like followers thought he was a god. He was the second coming of Christ. He was the black Cuban Jesus Christ, 2.0, 21st century version before he fought Vasily Lomachenko. And then he got exposed as a guy with a weak heart who basically quit against a guy who was just that much better than him, right? And then the cult went away. And now they have found a new guy to jump onto. You guys know who I'm talking about there. <clears throat> Demetrius Andrade. But anyway, um, so Guillermo Rigadiao, since that shellacking he took to Lomachenko, that was in December of 2017, Zero fights in 2018. Rigo had zero fights in 2018. Signs with the PBC early this year. It was either January or February. I think it was January because he beat a journeyman level fighter in January. And now he's going up against Julio Ceja, a guy who's lost two out of his last four. And this is somehow a WBC junior featherweight eliminator. Remember what I said earlier in the show about Uncle Al and the WBC and Mauricio Suleiman and all the bullshit, how they work under the table and hook each other up? Here it is again, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not pulling this shit out of my ass. Let me repeat. Rigondeaux, after quitting against Loma in 2017, no fights last year. That's, that's zero. One fight in January against a nobody... Now he has another fight against a guy who's lost 50% of his last four fights. Yeah, that's a title eliminator for none other than the WBC. That is how Mauricio Suleiman does work. And that is why I, look, all the sanctioned organizations are full of shit in certain ways. The difference with Suleiman is he acts like he is this high and mighty uh, guy who's cleaning up the sport and doing all this good stuff. He still plays favorites and pulls shit like this. That's ridiculous. And um, I just call him out on it, right? <laughs> Who is that? I'm just looking here in the comments section. Delita Hyrell says, Mauricio is a midget. Hey, you're supposed to say little person, you bigoted bastard. Uh, so, yeah. And it, the BC just had an event this weekend in LA, in the LA area. Look, I like a lot of the community work they do. I like the clean boxing program. I like the 37-day weigh-ins. There's a lot that the BC does that I really like. But I just don't like some of the political bullshit that they pull. And I I, I can't stand how certain people in the quote-unquote media kiss their ass to get access to events. It, It really is disappointing. Walsh1916 says, Happy birthday, Michael Semper Fi, brother. I appreciate that, Walsh. I absolutely do appreciate that. Um, Man, so, I mean, that's it, guys. That is it for this week. Where are we at here? We are at just over an hour here on YouTube. Let me see if we got a couple more questions, and then we're going to call it for the night, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my brother just jumped on. Anthony says, what up, big bro? I'm about to make the murderous trek back to LBC. So I'm I'm assuming that you're working out in Orange County today, bro, and you got to drive back to Long Beach. Have fun with that. Okay. Uh, Rock Loggins asks, why did the WBC pull its belt in the World Boxing Super Series Tournament? Rock, I talked about that for a few minutes at the very top of the show, brother. So uh, as soon as we're done here, go back to the top of the show and watch it here on YouTube or listen later once the audio podcast comes out. Uh, I give details about it. Basically, my man, it just came down to egos. Just egos. Completely ridiculous nonsense. Although I got to say, the officials that the WBO did appoint, that's who the BC was pissed off at, uh, they did appoint some shitty officials. So maybe the WBC was on to something there. <laughs> uh, Jack says, I think Mike is pissed at me, guys. Jack, I'm not pissed off. What do you say? I just missed your question. Uh, Jack asks, you still think Triple G Canelo 3 is happening? And if so, can Triple G drop Canelo in the rematch? So, yes, I think that it is happening. Um, I still think that that's very, very likely for September this year. I don't think Triple G dropping Canelo is very, very likely at all. If Triple G trains a full training camp up in Big Bear for the rematch, I think Canelo's probably going to drop him. If he trains in Los Angeles at low altitude, we're going to get another close 
12 round controversial fight that Triple G might actually get the decision this time. So I, look, I think Triple G needs to get the hell out of high altitude. I think it's killing him. I, I talked to Jamel Herring, you guys know this, um, last week before I went up to Detroit. I just finished my piece on him today. I sent my rough draft over to uh, Doug Fisher today for Ring Magazine. And J- Jamel was saying that he went up to Colorado Springs for his fight against uh, Masayuki Ito for like three, almost four weeks. And he said that his strength and conditioning coach, the same SNC coach that Terrence Bud Crawford uses, by the way, and nutritionist uses Bud's entire team now. They all said no more than about three, four weeks at high altitude or it will deteriorate your body. And I've heard several people tell me that. And if you look at the guy we saw with Gennady Golovkin against David Lemieux and those guys, and then just a slow deterioration against uh, Jacobs and then against Canelo in the second Canelo fight. I think that high altitude, extended high altitude training is killing him. Needs to stop doing it or he's going to end up getting knocked out. I'm saying it now. I'm putting it on record now. If it does happen, watch 8,000 other channels start to say, oh, I said this is going to happen. Are you doing it? That's how it always goes, right? You guys like that voice? <laughs> Prime TV says, uh, Montero, message Triple G and let him know that or when you interview him. Yeah, you know, I'll talk to those guys soon once we get some noise about the Canelo fight coming. Right now, it's all quiet on the Western Front, which tells me they are deep in negotiations for that fight. Um, Scuff Scott says it's too late anyway. Yeah, you might be on to something there, but he could be rejuvenated, brother. Hamed's asking why Triple G's Twitter account got suspended. I honestly don't know the details. It had something to do with some kind of privacy claim of a post. So they tweeted something. Maybe it was a video or something. And somebody bitched about the privacy of it. And Twitter just suspended it. Twitter is weird, man. I talked about it earlier in the show. Um, they will suspend people over the smallest, most minute thing. Just really a misunderstanding. And they'll suspend people with whom they disagree with politically on certain things. But then they let O.J. Simpson and Bill Cosby have a Twitter. They even verified Bill Cosby's account years ago. And he's a serial rapist doing time. And they let him have a Twitter. This is a man who drugged and raped dozens of women while they were unconscious. Daniel Putin. So yeah, he has a Twitter. Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles says, continue to share the truth and happy 30th with another Super Chat pledge. Thank you so much, Captain Hook. I appreciate it, man. Uh, My 40th was awesome. Yeah, so all right, maybe one more. Delita asks, who should Fury fight? Granted, it won't be a champion next. I like Kubrat Pulev. I think that with Tyson Fury's personality being as crazy as he is, with Kubrat Pulev, all the controversy from the last time with uh, the, the sushi girl, I can't remember her name. Um, I think that that gives ESPN and those guys plenty to talk about, right? Now, unfortunately, guys, you're going to get... Mark Kriegel talking to that reporter, probably. She's going to get five minutes of fame. You're going to get them talking about all the things Fury's gone through. You're going to hear Pulev talking about Me Too, and I've thought about it, and now, you know, I really respect what you're going to have to deal with. All that bullshit. Yeah, you guys are saying Kriegel licking his chops over that. You think? Yeah. So get ready for those vignettes because that's probably what's going to happen. Jarrell Big Baby Miller seems to think he's getting that fight. That would just be atrocious. You know, would you rather have a guy who's maybe a little disrespectful to women and maybe objectifies women or a guy who is a terrible steroid cheat fight Tyson Fury next? Take your pick, guys. Take your pick. For what it's worth, Kubrat Pulev is a better fighter than Jarrell Big Baby Miller. He's far more proven and say what you will about all the bullshit with that chick. He deserves a fight against Fury much more than Jarrell Big Baby Miller. You should not. If you're Jarrell Big Baby Miller, you've fought nobody. You've proven nothing against any top 10 level heavyweight. You got busted for a cocktail of drugs. You got a slap on the wrist six-month suspension. 
and you walk right into a fight against the number one rated heavyweight in the world, it shouldn't work that way, guys. It really shouldn't. So those of you saying it should be Jarrell Big Baby Miller next, you need to stop with that shit because that's crazy. Oleg says, stream needs more Tiffany Lamb. You know what, Oleg? She's working right now. She had to work late today. I'll let her know. Maybe we'll get her on here next week, all right? Because, yeah, she hasn't been on the show in a while. So, uh, okay. Gail Falkenthal says, Kovalev's next fight versus Anthony Yard is reportedly set for September in Russia, according to Bob Arum. Look at that, guys. Boom. Breaking news from Gail Falkenthal. She's awesome. And what did I tell you guys weeks ago? That fight was going to happen. There's just some things that need to be ironed out. Frank Warren and Anthony Yard and his people put out some reports that were bullshit. They were fake news. Some of you guys even messaged me about it, asking about it. About, is it you know, relating to drug testing and stuff? That was all rubbish. That fight is going to happen. Gail says Montero is always proven right eventually. You know what? We're going to end the show on that note, Gail, because I think that is a very poignant comment. I think it's legit. All right, guys, that is it for TNC 176. Remember to uh, blow it up on iHeartRadio. We are on iHeartRadio now. Thank you to all the Super Chat pledges. Thank you so much to all my Patreon pledges. And thank you to all of you who watch this show and support me and what I do, guys. And thank you for being patient as I build my studio. All right, guys, I'll see you at the fights.